Hey, welcome to the very first and very experimental pilot episode of my podcast. In this series, I'm going to cover the many hidden corners of the advertising industry, figuring out what's working, what's not, and what's worth watching. I'm calling this podcast No Room for Milk because I prefer my conversations the same way I like to get my coffee, completely undiluted with nothing to hide. Sometimes it might be bitter, but every time it's going to be sincere. If this sounds fun, you can subscribe on Spotify, any podcast app, or YouTube. Let's get into it. Today we're talking with Matt McNamara, an expert in building media strategy that works hand-in-hand with creative. We're going to talk about the media landscape as it is right now, as it will be in the next few years, and all the interesting things that you can do with creative in all these spaces. Specifically, we're going to cover different environments and mediums like VR and esports and lots of other stuff, the state of the media industry, professional processes and agency work life, some more personal stuff. So I know Matt from Goodby Silverstein and Partners. Uh, we work together on Comcast and uh, maybe some other stuff as well. Uh, he's worked on lots of different brands across lots of different categories. Right now, Matt's at Initiative, where he's been discovering some some new meaning for his career, it sounds like. And uh, in general, he's excited about making creative and media exciting together. Matt, is there anything else you want to add there? Sounds good. No, I, no, that's it. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to have this conversation. So we'll just get into it. We're going to start off talking about what's happening in all the creative, all the different creative environments and mediums that are available right now. So the format of this is I'm going to ask some questions. We're going to have a loose conversation around it. Um, okay, so thinking about environments and mediums, I want to start with like, the big, dumb, drunk, stupid, lumbering elephant in the room, which is VR. What did you think of the Apple release? Um, honestly, when it was happening, I was in a meeting and my my it was the first time an Apple release has actually like started people texting me about it. Um, the most recent ones have been kind of like a dull, not really a lot of interest. So the fact that there was people in group chat, like group tech, uh, group texts, uh, sorry, outside of the world of tech and advertising that there was mm. actually driving interest. I thought that, that was a pretty compelling thing. Uh, I wasn't expecting them to actually launch uh, a VR headset. Um, so that was, I think, surprised would be one thing. Um, wearables is, has been such a weird taboo drunk elephant topic like you said um over the past few years so but yeah overall i think i was pretty impressed relative to recent years well do you have any thoughts about like what apple is going to if how they're differentiating this thing and what space is going to play and like they call it the pro which is kind of interesting they're sort of setting themselves up to start bringing the price down from that like gargantuan 3500 bucks um yeah and i guess this is going to be like a prosumer thing and Someone was telling me they might get um, the idea might be to get uh, feedback on it from a really concentrated audience. So they're almost like soft launching a prototype or something. What do you what do you think about the way, about the way they presented it? I I mean their their branding and their packaging is everything, right? Like it's such an experience. You open up the device and it's so pristine and crisp, and it it makes you feel something every time you open up something new from there. Uh, 
in general, I think, you know, the soft launching of it, it's an, it, I mean, soft launching is just an interesting concept, but the only way you're going to actually learn something is if you're going to have people to use it. Um, the, the next iteration of it and kind of the adoptability of it, I think it's pretty compelling. I could get them, I could see them like pulling it more into like their arcade space and like, what does it mean for gaming? And that's the kind of a, no real gaming area has done something in that VR headspace that is consumer, like just general market type of person. Um, so the usability factor is probably going to increase for sure. Wait, how does that compare to Oculus then? I thought that was more of a regular consumer device. Well, I think what the, well, Apple have probably started to do a little bit better than others is that entire ecosystem the past few years, they've just been selling services. I feel like they haven't really been product innovation and they've been building at this suite of things, whether it's, like I said, arcade, um, TV, movies, um, this entire ecosystem that is just kind of a plus up of your phone experience. Now they're actually having a new product to integrate into it. I think that that is a little bit, that's it's a little bit different to me than like what Oculus is. You think of Oculus as just like, oh, people standing in their living room playing. I, I, I honestly forget the name of the, like the fruit ninja game. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Beat Saber. Yeah. So like Oculus and like those types of games have a very, in my head anyway, a, a specific construct. Whereas I think, Oh, Apple are doing it. That means that it could be for me. Right. I think there's yeah. like a, a, a that, yeah. that, that kind okay. of interpretation, that a differentiation of, Oh, I have a Mac. I have an iPhone. I have my AirPods, and oh, I could get this, and I could watch Ted Lasso in VR. Right. <laughs> I could be put into the show. Right. If you will. Whereas, like, yeah, that's they like, pushed on that. Like they pushed on that one a lot. Like this, which I don't know if I buy yet. This idea of like you're gonna sit next to some. I mean, okay, you're you're. It's it's you and I across the on other parts of the country, and we can sit next to each other and watch, um, watch a movie together. Which like. Yeah. Like you're in a long distance relationship, right? Like that's has some level of applicability maybe to your situation. Um, yeah. And, and, but even still, I think that there's, I mean, the pandemic taught us a lot of things, <laughs> but like the, the co-viewing, like Hulu have a, a joint session. Um, you have um, FaceTiming conversations with just as normal as well. Right. So I think, yeah, it's it's still in a weird space of how adoptable will it be. Uh, you kind of have to go through that lens before you get to like the real stuff. I feel like yeah, you have to go through that. Oh, you can watch your show. You can visit memories from a video. Giving examples of how people can use it is probably going to get people to grasp it and understand it more um, than the oh, you can. Um, video call in VR across the world. Yeah, and I, personally, I feel like VR still is solving a problem no one has. It's like, no, Which is? I don't think it, like the problem that no one has a problem that, that VR is specifically solving. Like, I tend to think of it a little bit as like, um, it's a set of technologies that uh, companies have been able to develop really impressively. Like I've experienced these things, it's fucking incredible. But 
every time I use it, I put it back in the closet and it sits there forever until like we have someone over who's like curious about it, who hasn't done it. And then they do it and they're like, okay, that's cool. That was enough. I'm just, it feels like it's not a, it's, it's sort of, it felt obvious. It felt like, oh, they're a tech company. So they had to come out with something like that. And you knew they were going to have good stuff, but it's like, I still don't know if it's the actual experience is uh, compelling. Like even with Oculus, it seemed like they brought that price down. We're, we're mm-hmm. good to go. This is going to be a blockbuster hit. And it's like, you know, people got it for Christmas and now they're just sitting in the closet. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like the, the, the hot new toy, right? Like yeah. It's, yeah. It's tickle it, me Elmo. It, it's, it's tickle me Elmo for the tech era. <laughs> <laughs> just, I'm just imagining like, uh, like tentacles on the back of the, uh, of the Oculus, just like, like a car wash over your eye, eye eyelids. Yeah, tickle my eyeballs. Uh, tickle my eyeballs. Um, yeah, I, I, but again, that's there's always been those things that are surplus to requirements. It's just like a oh, look what we can do. Um, I think it's taken like we saw what happened with the QR code. Like yeah. when I first when I first started, like my first internship was. I forgot what year it was, it was like 2014, 2015, but like everyone, like the hot new thing was how can we use a QR code? And then it was like, everyone just went on a diatribe of kill the QR code because it was like in every creative media or creative execution to get people to do something because it was a quick response, scan and go, but the tech wasn't there from a phone standpoint. And the need state for people to use it wasn't there to your point. And so what is going to be that watershed moment that the QR code had in the pandemic? <laughs> Not that we should need a pandemic to get like a watershed moment, but is it, what's that for VR and what's that for actually an application for this technology that, yeah, it's cool on the surface, but what substance does it have? Yeah, that's an interesting comparison. Um, I mean, so do you have a perspective on it from a, like a media perspective on it right now? Who who has who is buying these things because that might indicate some level like what the opportunity is there mm. i mean from like a like a like a person like a person buying these things yeah is or, there yeah, yeah is there a good demographic information i, 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 I was good i could have gone one or two ways i could like our brands buying it or are people buying yeah. it um i mean in-game advertising is one thing um but yeah i think from a person perspective they're always going to have like those technophiles you're going to always have the people who want to at least see it, touch it, feel it, like all those like sensory experiences that come with technology. Like what I was talking about with the Apple opening up an iPhone, it's an immaculate, clean, pristine experience. People are always going to want that. There's always going to be a subset of people who want that. And to my earlier point, I don't think it's really gone beyond the world of gaming and those people who are really infused in that as part of their kind of daily life because again they have a use case for it and they have that they have the application for it that they see value in it but for someone like me who's like yeah i play fifa i play the last of us every now and then like but i'm not so like it's a very social thing it's not like i'm gonna get home fire up the playstation or like play the switch I would like to, but it's just kind of like, I'd rather like listen to a podcast ironically enough, or, you know, do the crossword, you know, um, there are certain scales of how much you're in front of a screen and some people are on the other end of the spectrum and some people aren't. Yeah, totally. 
Yeah, I know a lot of people who are going to be buying this thing probably look at screen all day long for work. So, I mean, is the answer screen that's two inches from your eyes? I mean, yeah. you know, you go home and watch Netflix. That's also that's another screen too. So, yeah, and I think, and maybe that's just me projecting my own personal sentiments on like now I need glasses and like my eyes have deteriorated. So, do I want to have like my glasses and then my other thing? Yeah, <laughs> and like Matt, like even when I'm like I've been on a last few weeks, I've been on planes a bunch, and I've been really thankful when there hasn't been a screen. Maybe it's just because like the sports seasons are ending, so like I'm not missing out. Uh, but like whenever there is not a screen on the plane, I just kind of like put my phone down and just like listen and like put my head against the side of the plane and just kind of like take a minute just to like not look at a screen. Um, so maybe there's a little bit of that in me, and I don't know how much that is actually being felt more broadly by people and consumers when it comes to like, oh, cool an AR wearable technology that's another screen in front of my eyes and we near closer and closer to Black Mirror, right? Yeah, exactly. I think that's the thing, especially during the pandemic. The pandemic, in some ways, everyone thought that was going to be like the best thing for (laughs) VR. Like any analyst looks at the pandemic and is like, VR is going to take off immediately because we're all stuck indoors and we can't do anything outside. But like what actually happened was everyone worked all day long on their computer and then they did everything on their computer inside their house. And like VR started to look like a really scary warp into something like way deeper and way more uh, like almost like imprisoning. And I think that, that, you know, they were already like Meta was already dug in on it at that point. And then at the same time, you have people starting to wake into this idea of like, this is starting to look like an actual Black Mirror episode. And then uh, it felt like people kind of started to distance themselves from it and realize like, I don't want to spend all my time on the internet in front of whatever experience that Meta is going to decide to give me. Yeah, but I, I, to kind of circle back onto one of the things you said there, um, with the like VR is going to have a moment. I feel like they've been saying that for 10 years. Exactly. Right? But I feel like it's like, oh yeah, here like all the like Mintel trend reports and all these different like talking heads um have just been like, yeah, it's gonna have a moment. This is it, this is it. It's just like just you're waiting for a beat to drop and it's just never happening. Totally. That's that's why I kind of think it's answering a problem no one has. Like I right. think that's like I think the industry really wants it to happen. So right now, here's the here's the cynical take, my cynical take on it. Right mm. now, you got some time, like you're talking about on the airplane. You got some time. You know, you're just gonna like listen to something. Maybe it's a podcast that you downloaded for free. Maybe it's a book that you spent up to ten dollars on or got for free from the library, and you're just gonna listen to, read, whatever for a little while. Take you out of the airplane. Let's have you walk around in the park. You're not spending any money in the park. Go hang out with some friends, grab a beer, grab a six pack. Also, you know, you're spending minimal amount of money. Then let's put you in the metaverse. We can monetize every single thing you do. You want the cool jeans? Boom, it's going to cost you. You want to go to this place? It's going to cost you. You want to do this thing? You want to talk to these people? All that can cost you. You have all these microtransactions. It's like the full capitalization of experience. (laughs) Have you seen Don't Worry, Darling? No. Okay, you should definitely watch it because, like, it's there's a little bit of this like idea, idyllic experience that you're buying into. Yeah, I would better than expected, by the way. I think it got a lot of shit in the um, promo lead up to it and the drama surrounding it, but it was better than expected. 
Um, anyway, as an aside, I saw a um, video the other day and it was like this ind individualization of like, it, it started from a, um, a, a viewpoint of spending money on rent and the average number of people in a household. And so it was like way back when it was like average number of people in a household were four. Now there's more people living solo and it's a shift towards making them the like most ideal consumer, mm. which is very dystopian. But it's like, to your point, if they're on these screens and they're in these experience where it's just incentivizing consumer, it gets into a place of like, oh yeah, I'll buy that because like, what else might I do? Um, and it's That's like, right. what is, how That's much right. of, how much of a priority or like, where are they engaging and what are they buying? And um, if they're living alone on a VR headset, um, cause that's what the whole narrative was about. It's like more people are living alone. So they're being drawn out of a place of where there is like a lack of community. They can't spread the cost of the groceries across four people. They don't have roommates. So they're incurring the cost of all that living expense. Then there's also the other living expense of like, oh, when I go out to do socialize, when I go out to buy clothes, all those things kind of compound each other. And like more and more people like you, on Reddit, you're just seeing like, how, how are people able to afford rent these days? And there is a certain amount of yes acknowledgement of other people's situations and the privilege that people have if they are living alone, that's great for them. But the reality is people strive to live alone, but they find that they can't afford it because of this shift in like get everyone on their own so they have to fend for themselves. Yeah, you put, totally. that in, you put that in a virtual headspace, are people going to be more prone to be like, oh, it's just a click to buy, click to buy. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The next thing could be just a little thing that's one purchase away. I mean, that's the, yeah, blink, blink to buy is probably going to be the real, Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Just twitch, twitch to buy in your seat. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the share. That's the S&P 500 shareholder wet dream there is like everyone buying their own individual microwave dinners, uh, living in their own place that's somewhat inefficiently run. Uh, or may, I, maybe they're also surrounded by bunk beds and that, you know, there's just like they're packing people in like sardines and everyone's got their basically we're in the matrix at that point everyone's got their their version of yes. reality surrounding their face okay yes. anyway yes let's i'll uh, I'm, I'm gonna cut it there on this one so <laughs> let's get let's stick it back to like the subject here so okay what are what are the opportunities for brands in this space uh, i mean i think we were just kind of alluding to it right like it's the 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 increased individualization of people i think if you're going to take a let's like stick with the dystopian and just like dire view on society we'll stay there for a minute and then we'll get yeah, positive okay. all right i'm ready um yeah so i think there's always going to be an opportunity like i jokingly said click to buy we're gonna move i think we're gonna move towards a place like that but to what you were saying there's gonna be not a reckoning but like those experiences like you were saying some of the best, like even when I live in San Francisco, like there are sites like Nudge, there are purpose-built places to be like things to do for free or things going on in your city to get people out of the house. So I think um, more and more people will realize that those experiences that are being kind of forced, now we're making a flip from dystopian to positive, uh, is yeah, you're going to be pushed these VR, AOR headsets into these digital spaces and they're just going to drag, like take all your money. But there's also the opposite can be true, where like you kind of get over sensitive, over exposed to, it, and you're just like, this isn't what I want. And then there's a the watershed moment is probably just more of a, a realization of what you prioritize and like 
maybe there's a life stage thing of I want to go to the park with a six pack and hang out with friends. I want to um, meet up and go and play board games. And there's like those non-sensory experiences to like meeting up in real life, I think are still going to be prevalent. It's just a matter of like, what's the motivation to get people to do that. And I think that can be an opportunity for brands as well. I think showing that there is a ability to, engage but not buy or like provide value in a different way um like some of the brands i've worked on in the past is like there are those brand perks that seem kind of hollow but they're helpful like tickets to a game or a movie or discounts on dinner or uh, subscriptions for a sport package that is really expensive but it's a co-viewing moment for you and your family so i think that there there are those ways of kind of Taking a step back from my kid, there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of tech. Let's kind of help people cut through that and realize like there's other things that you can be doing. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you think there's some sort of novel ways in which sounds like you're saying brands are have an opportunity to actually skip the technology and sort of add add value or sort of be present in a in a helpful way in a in a way that builds up a nice memory in the in the actual real physical world space and not it sounds like you're i mean you're obviously talking about more than being there on a billboard is there is there something yeah. like is there is there a way you think about that how to how to bring a brand closer to um the 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 real world experience the richness the texture of that um i mean it's a uh i mean it's no like it's more of a a loose point of view i guess but like I'm a big believer of just being radi like radical transparency and just honesty. And like, there's so there's certain uh, power in breaking that like fourth wall and kind of that acknowledgement. I think that goes a long way. You're not just pulling people around for, for the sake of it. And it's not some like, there are some brands who, yeah, they, and, and some people resonate with it where I will buy ethically and morally and I will, um only buy for certain brands that believe in the things that i believe in and that's fine that's very fair very valid and then there's also some brands that are just like we are a brand that does this like that's it and it's like okay cool yeah like i go i like target they have some elements of like okay larger purpose or whatever but like mostly people just think of target as a place that you go in for one thing and you get five or six things you didn't need and that's fine but there's also like kind of honesty and joking in that um so I think, yeah, my point of view would be ways that there are more, the amount of misinformation and shit out there, the more transparent and honest and just frank you can be. I think that that is probably a, a better angle in the long run because, yeah, you're going to put on a VR headset and it's just going to be a cacophony of screens. And so being able to kind of pull yourself away from that and be like, okay, what really matters? Have any brands yeah. been actually asking you what, you know, we want to do something in VR. What should we do? Um, honestly, no. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, no. I think we're not. I think that's a, that's the thing. Like the, again, that ecosystem isn't quite built out yet. No, and like back, I remember. Oh fuck, I remember. It was IGN or like some like game again back to freaking gaming. Um, game. They were like, oh yeah, you could like sponsor in-game experiences or like in this zombie apocalypse world, your brand could have a billboard that got like burnt to shit. And it's like in the background in one of the levels. 
it's like mm-hmm. there's like those in-game things where you're kind of having those like branding cues but that's that's basically been it um but again that's gonna be what's the game and how relevant is it is it just kind of like mm-hmm. a cool thing that you do or is it a thing that's like a larger initiative yeah do you think there's a good way and a bad way to i so i know what you're talking about i think it's like I don't know why I always got a kick out. I like seeing those things here and playing GTA or something like that. And there's like a real brand somewhere in the game. That's like just part of that world. Do you think it's like a good way to do it or a bad way to to do that? Uh, If you're going to do it, you got to go all the way in. Like you can't worry about, you got to worry about the people who are playing the game, not the people who are going to see that you're there in the game. Cause there's probably a, a bunch of people who are like, oh, I don't believe in what GTA stood for. And I don't really think that that's a very good way of playing the game. Like, that's not a video game. That's violence. But there's also kind of like a reality, like it's a game. It's not real. And it's, there's an ability like satire, right? Like leaning all the way into the nth degree, I think is a little bit more of like, okay, that's funny. Like that, okay, like they're on the nose and that's okay, well, pl- well done. Um. I think that's probably the best way of doing it because that means a lot to the people who are playing it. If you build it from that point of view, you're only trying to please, you're trying to please and like kind of like lock eyes with the people who are playing that game across the room being like, I get you. Like, yeah, understand the space you're in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Read the room. Read the room. Yeah, read the room. Absolutely. So, speaking of reading the room, how about let's talk about AR for a second? Yeah, I think. AOR is probably a little bit more along, but not like in a consumer space. So more in like, a, I think doctors are using it right now, right? Um, they're using it for like um, surgery and like mapping, uh, things like that, that are like um, not really in a place for the consumer to use. But again, yeah. that educational, very purpose built um like education space. I think that's that. I think that's probably my only thought really on augmented reality. Mm-hmm. Not, I don't know, broader now. I think wearables is just, I still have the first generation of spectacles from Snapchat when they oh, did really? like that. Yeah, that vending machine drop. Cause I was like, this is the first time there's going to be a consumer led wearable that people actually like to wear. Yeah. Um, I think that's always going to be the challenge. What were those like? How, what did you end up, what were you able to do with those? I just take video, take 10 second video by like take video with them. Yeah. Yeah. So you can do like, I think it's like this takes a starts a video. I think like double click is a photo. One click is a video for 10 seconds and you can stop the video by pressing it again. Mm -hmm. Those were, those are basically a promotional item. They weren't really supposed to be part of an ecosystem, right? Yeah. They connected to the Snapchat app. Yeah. And then they just load it into your memories. But they never, um, they never like Apple, released it. Actually named. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, it's like a, that's straight up Black Mirror episode. Yes, they're a promotional item. It connected to the app. Um, but yeah, it, it was kind of a one it's a cool thing. Yeah, a cool thing. It was the first. I think it was like they to your point earlier, like be the first to do it, and you can figure it out in the back end. Yeah. Um. Which I don't really think Apple are that way anymore, right? They're kind of like let other people do, it and then we're gonna do it. And we'll make it way better. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, so that's the the really kind of like big, shiny, exciting stuff that really doesn't have much actual activity around it. I mean, it's funny because AR, you got 
Pokemon Go was a huge, I don't know, supposedly it was a huge success. I don't, I don't know the numbers on how many people use that, but obviously a lot of people were talking about it at least. You, you, you know, it might get brands being like, how do we do what if Pokemon Go did? And it's like, well, first you become an entertainment property and then you leverage new technology there. Yeah. But it's, like, it's interesting that we haven't really had something like that, something big since. I mean, that, that did activate quite a bit, quite a few people to use an AR kind of application, but it's, it feels kind of quiet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember the, it was actually one of the things like from our, our Comcast in the Xfinity days. Um, when the iPhone 8 came out, Verizon did a really great campaign of like finding the 8, and it was like a Pokemon Go type scavenger hunt through Snap Maps with augmented reality. So, again, you already had people who are primed by the behavior yeah. in Pokemon Go. They knew they could get a free iPhone back when Apple was a little bit more innovative and like, oh, it's a new phone. And then if you went around the city, to these points of interest and you found where they hid it in like the some like geocaching type thing right mm -hmm. you find it then you get it that's probably the only real augmented reality campaign that i've seen in the last few years that i oh that i consistently go back to and i'm like yeah like i just did and i'm like yeah that was a good application of it from a brand standpoint but other than that yeah you're you're right become a media entity and then use new technology and then get people excited about it yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, something's got to come up, but well, I guess I guess we'll see. Yeah. So okay, let's we talk about the big exciting stuff. Let's talk about the the real shit. Digital advertising. Uh, do you think so? Do you think for some of these brands, there's sort of boilerplate media that they don't that they're not getting a lot of value out of? Probably. Yeah, I think, and that's where you know. I'll probably get into it later, but like the the notion of um, media is boring or media can be tired. And I think it, it takes a lot of work to have something go really successfully. Like there's still like, you know, cachet with the Super Bowl spots, sure. Um, but yeah, I think there is a high risk and high propensity of just plans and brands to like stick with the status quo because of xyz deal is existing or this partner has worked well in the past or i mean that's one of the things that i really appreciated about when you know when we did work uh at good being we were doing some media planning there was a very concerted effort for the types of environments and like premiumness of the media not to say that like you know not all brands are doing this but um there probably is collectively an approach that is oh how premium and the value of an impression, right? How much waste is there? Um, aside from the whole ad blocking thing, what is your whole approach that is actually going to elevate what you're saying, how you're saying it, and where you're saying it? Um, I think that that's kind of the, the main thing that I've been kind of coming back to the last few years of media can be fun. Everyone consumes it. Everyone loves the retargeting. Like you're buying a pair of shoes and then it follows you around the internet. And you're like, oh, they do look good. And then you buy them and you're like, okay, I'm happy I bought them. Right. Yeah, but it sounds like you're talking about more intentionality with using these yeah. channels. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit more knowing, a little bit more like, hey, there's a human behind this. You know, like we get it. Everyone yeah. is gonna buy a pair of shoes. Like the second I go into Dick's sporting goods, they have great shipping, by the way. Shout out Dick's. Um 
anytime I go in there and I look at a pair of Nikes, they're just following me around. I'm like, I know I'm going to buy them eventually. I'm going to pay for them either on Klarna or I'm going to pay for them straight up. But like, I'm buy them. But like, stop showing them in my email. <laughs> I'll get to it. Yeah, just make I'll get feel to a little it. less weird about this. It's on my to-do list. Like, I, I know you know where I live. Yeah, give like, me a hey, week. Come I, back in a week. <laughs> yeah, I get paid next week. Help. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they should really only be doing those advertisements on uh, the uh, the the second and and last Thursday of of the week of the month. Yeah, in between rent and credit card statements. Yeah, yeah. hit me up. Yeah, there but you like, go. Anything, yep. No, 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 no. So, all right, to the to that point, mobile display advertising yeah. is is this a scam? Is this essentially a scam? It's the oh, for the for the advertisers, <laughs> like not for the consumers. Is it yeah, a scam? Is, is, like, is, is there any useful click that comes out of one of those? I mean, when you start talking there, I just got like a mental image of like, yeah, this is the advertising equivalent of uh, Cutco knives, and uh, it's just a pyramid scheme. Yeah. yeah. If you buy, if you buy this banner, we'll sell another banner, and then you will sell more banners, and then you get more money. Um, okay, I think yes, I think it's a double-edged sword. Uh, one, it's Double edged sword of necessary evil. I'm not sure what my analogy is going to be here, but stick with me. Um, if you're not using an ad blocker and you know there is crit, like a, a way of getting people to site, the buy. I think if you're going to have an actual buy flow that is set up and the category that you're in, I think it's great. Um, but it can't be like it can't be the meat and potatoes of what you're doing. It has to be like you know side salad or like you know a bit of vegetable it's not like the 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 the, the it's not what is going to make everything successful for sure i mean um, so let's talk, if we're if we're at the bottom of the funnel is there right. is there a is there a particular use case you think where mobile some tiny like nail sized ad in a on a phone is actually useful uh not really because if you're going to be on the phone you might as well just buy an app like either buy the brand app or buy um, buy around the phone is kind of like something that comes into my mind of like how, like in your life when you're on Chrome, how often do you click on a ad when you're reading an article? Or if you're even in the Chrome browser window in the first place. I mean, you do accidentally. That's what's hilarious about these things. Like you'll be trying to read yeah. an article and then, you know, like basically seventy yeah. percent of the screen is some kind of is a mo is variations of a mobile ad and a video that has automatically started playing that has nothing to do with what you wanted to do when you open that article and you're kind of like fucking navigating that, and, that, and that's a terrible experience. Yeah, exactly. It's like terrible it's, experience. Yeah, yeah, I would argue maybe worse than the mid mid roll. Yeah, it definitely gives a run for the money for sure. Like if I go somewhere and I'm just like getting. Pop, 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 pop. And you're just like, I can't even, I'm just going to quit out of it because I'm just like, I'm done. I don't I know. need to know that. I don't need to know that information. Um, so how would you buy around that? What are you saying? What are you saying there? How would you buy around the phone? Um, a couple of things come to mind. I think one, the apps, right? Like, is there a better in-app experience? Like if you are surrounding, let's take golf, right? So US opens on a lot of golf going on. Um, buy in the ESPN app. You could buy video in there. You could buy, uh, if people are going to be watching it on Peacock, you could buy Peacock on the phone. Yes, I'm talking more about video, but if we talk about display, 
Um, you could buy Twitter. You could surround the moments and it's more in social and feed. You don't have to have a click. It can just be in the feed promoted around it. Twitter is a whole different thing these days anyway. But, you know, there's other ways of doing it tied to how the person is consuming it. Right. If I'm going to a place to read news, let them read news. If I'm going to like a place to catch up on like the live moments or the highlights and the reactions, yeah, pop a video, pop a thing in the feed and like you can kind of get in, get out, associate with something and then you're good. Yeah. So video feed um, be available as some, and I assume try to add value in some way in, in that feed. But instead of being yeah. on the corner of some page somewhere. Yeah, and like if you're gonna buy a display, buy it on the laptop, buy it on a PC. Yeah. Don't buy it on the phone. I think what another thing the phone is really good for is like like the notion of device graphs. Or um, yes, there's gonna be the calculus future, but like how can you use that as a thing? It's like it's so it's ubiquitous. It's 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 in our life. It's ubiquitous. It's it's everything. Like phones are great. They're also evil, but they're also great. Um, there's a lot of information that you can have about, okay, what is someone interested in, what they're not interested in? Um, it's very personal. And so um, that's just the nature of what we do and understanding that those touch points, whether it's cookie or not, that device graph tied to their connection to their internet or cell provider, I feel like that adds more value than just a shitty little banner that is accidentally clicked on that probably pisses people off. Can you explain more about that device graph for anyone who doesn't know what that is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So essentially what your media, like media tech company, take a smart TV or your phone company, they're, they're connected to the internet. And that internet is blasting a signal that says there is device A, B, and C here. And they are then associated with a, a serial number, right? Or an ID number. And then you can tell based on that, that that device what they're watching or interested in. It sounds super big brother, super creepy, but like that is just how the mechanics of the machine works of, oh, we know that 18 to 49 year olds will watch X TV show in prime time. It's the same mechanism that the TV rating systems are using. It's just tied now to the internet and what that, um, when you click accept cookies or accept this, that, and the other. That's why it's giving it permission to do. It's just saying like, hey, this person likes to watch sports. This person is on Twitter. Um, it just allows people to know like, okay, what's the consumption and where are people showing up and where where and when is the best time to meet them and intercept them for a message they might be more um, responsive to or have slightly increased resonance based on a preference or an interest. Does programmatic run through all of that so that you're automatically serving an ad at the place time and to the person who's going to be most likely to pick you know go through run through and, and go to a yeah. probably go to a website or, or an app yeah there's yeah there's the two ways of programmatic there's the way you just stated and with that device graph you can still buy it that way then there's like programmatic in the sense of the more traditional uh buying profiles that are you know maybe a little more digital in the display or video editorial content rather than like based on device consumption um some of it is more clarified around um like credit card or buyer data and you can kind of be like okay certain signals and motivators will reach this person when they get to that lower funnel 
you can buy it that way, or you can do it through like a device graph based on consumption. Mm -hmm. Have you seen any companies doing anything interesting in that space of uh, delivering, I guess, uh, algorithmically, at least let's say chosen content. So depending on the context, choosing from like a pool of creative and serving, serving something up without some, without someone deciding specifically that without a human deciding specifically, we're going to serve this thing at this time. Yeah. Um, how sophisticated can that get? It get pretty sophisticated. I think the, the, and if I'm understanding, it, it, there's a little bit of like that dynamic element. Yeah. Dynamic. Yeah, exactly. yeah. There's like that dynamic contextual. I think, yeah, you can do that programmatically. I think the lift then comes on like the creative of the company that like, how much do you want to say and how many different ways you want to say it? Um, one of the, I think one of the better examples out there is like Google's product director's mix, where you essentially have like video, as you know, um, you can watch YouTube TV now. It's actually pretty cool. So like YouTube TV, YouTube video on your laptop or phone. Um, and you create like a base layer of videos and within those base layer of videos, maybe the first base video is, um, sports. The next one is movies and the next one is travel, right? So you have these three different videos and then within them, you have the same sentence structure and message structure, but you swap out things that make it relevant or contextual. And you can either run it in front of content that is related to the theme of sports, movies, or travel, or you can, which is probably more effective, you to target based on an interest of like, this person has watched cooking videos before. Um, they maybe have watched, we don't know that for a fact, but maybe they've watched like pasta or pizza. And then like you hit them with the contextually relevant travel it travel type message and then their brain is like oh well i am going to italy soon or like maybe i could go to italy um but maybe that travel based thing doesn't run in front of a travel video it runs in front of sports because they also like sports or they it runs in front of a how to how to cut your lawn in the perfect design um but they they have an affinity for cooking and travel so that message still lands for them because they have an appreciation for it so i think google probably have a product a context and um, dynamic element that um, is interesting because it kind of fires in those signals that people have that they may not know they be they they may not know that they will be sending out into like that digital ecosystem. Mm -hmm. I think with so it's interesting that that's pretty sophisticated, right? Like as you're saying, the capability yeah. on that. So now take it factor in the incredible leapfrog that just happened in terms of the ability to generate content with. Um, OpenAI and all the LLM, other LLMs. I mean, it's not that hard to imagine a world where there's very little human in the loop here and you've got an AI generating content and messaging that's putting it out there and just saying, do people click on this? And then kind of refining it progressively to get more clicks on the thing, to get more intention intentional clicks on the thing to the point where you at least like lower mid funnel stuff is just entirely AI generated and AI like refined as well. Yeah. I mean, to a certain degree, it kind of already is. Yeah. Right? What do you like, mean by that? We use machine learning. It, I was, in, I was actually in an AI um, presentation last week 
And it was actually, it was, I've been on the fence about it. I haven't really fully adopted it into my workflow. I'm still kind of hung over from web three and NFTs. So give me a minute. Um, machine learning is just another way of saying AI, right? And so you log into Netflix, you get promoted a thing that's like, oh, you want to watch this show based on X. That is also using a similar type of machine learning AI algorithm. And when I say like, we're already sort of doing that, that lower funnel stuff you mentioned, like that's basically programmatic. Right? Yeah, the serving, the serving of it is. I think the serving of it, yeah. but but you're talking about the the, the initial, the creation of it. The content uh, that is getting served as well. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we both worked at creative agencies before. Who really likes making banners? Exactly. No one likes making. Well, that I, is a, that. Like, I think there, there's a some, there's people, a. some people do. Sorry, we don't want, we don't want to offend anyone. It's, does, it's not that you I, want to make it three fifty by three fifty. Be my guest. Uh, I think. But, yeah. yeah. I think no one, no one, no one uh, dreams as a child of, of making banner ads. But I think there is a reality here that this kind of thing is a job that will be replaced rapidly and will supplant some level of um, people people human effort here. And I mean, there's uh, eventually we'll make it out somewhere on the other side where there's still other jobs to be done and, and people will have something to do. But there is a reality here of like, we get rapidly to a point where the, all the stuff that's getting, you know, got to spend a couple hours on laying it out and getting the things right and getting the colors right and all that stuff that could be done mm -hmm. pretty quickly. I mean, yeah. Uh, but again, with every like n a new iteration of the way of working, there's still going to be some you have to believe, I guess I have to believe, maybe that's just me, that there is going to be some type of human interaction within it, right? Because legalities and stuff, unless you're training the AI to be up to date on the latest legal jargon and the latest like cease and desist orders from like competitive brands. That's right? not like, hard that we can do that. Right, right. And yeah. so I think if you do that, that's great. You're still going to need to have a proofreader. You're still going to have to do a check thing. Maybe, uh, maybe, but... Which is, but, but that's only one or two people and the job's already done. You're kind of reviewing, press go, review, press go. And it's a way more efficient, cost-effective way of working because I, I think in client services, whether it's consulting, whether it is advertising or whatever, there's a lot of waste and like a lot of money that is just like, you know, how much are you actually billing and being realistic? Like you can do the timesheets and you can do all that stuff, but how much hours are you actually committing to those things? you can be way more efficient and purposeful and intentional with like, okay, what are the real problems we're solving that maybe AI isn't ready to do yet, right? For sure. You can maybe oh, you there's can tons of jobs at... like that. Yeah, absolutely. Right, exactly, exactly. But I, mean, I, think that, I think there's a slit, there's a, there's a space in, the, in the, the marketplace of agencies that is under very serious threat, which is agencies that are not working on high level brand creative that's meant to like, tell tell a big story but rather is okay. uh creating the content around mid lower funnel advertising that stuff is could yeah, go the, the way of the uh the fabric cutters of of old england yeah i i am inclined to agree um you think of like the internal agencies that have popped up when like there's consolidation yeah, that's interesting. Yep. i think like okay as organizations get smarter and more nimble and like they're trying to you know profits in the margins what are they doing in that space um, it's funny, just the topic of like jobs and stuff. I was up in Seattle a few weeks ago for a friend's engagement party and like he, he had gone to university, went to the same university as I did, 
uh, up in Washington and he did PR. He's a great writer. He would do kind of like ghost writing for C-suite people and that kind of like internal, external comms. Um, and like blog posts for like, what's the latest in the business? What's the latest in the industry? These types of things that are very nuanced. Uh, he's now since left and he's working, he was working in more like the product side, I think in Microsoft now as, as of late. But my point is like, we were talking about writing and we were, he was like, writers are going to get gone <laughs> with this AI stuff. And like the blog posts that he was writing, not five, six years ago, a lot of that is being kind of absorbed already. And it's like, okay, what's next? And I think that to your point, those like internal kind of more tactical things is where it's going to go. Um, oh yeah. And I mean, it's, it's funny. I mean, people are, you know, they're, they're telling it to uh, write their copy in the style of, um, of like a Tupac song. And then they're like, you know, applauding how amazing it is, but like it does, it doesn't do a good job at that. Like, let's, let's be honest here. It does a really corny job at that. It does. It's, yeah. it's, it's awkward, but what it does do a good job at is um, a straight up like content advertising piece of like, like thought leadership yeah. piece sounds pretty damn good. And like just as good as what's out there, probably what's out there is already AI generated in large part oh. anyway. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that's another thing, the, the, the content advertising, the, the whole idea of being something that is going to get picked up by a keyword search and pumped up to the top mm. of the results, it's going to start to mean nothing as people are getting direct knowledge and explanations of things just directly from the, from the AI itself through some totally yeah. different interface. I mean, that's the thing, like, like you can use it again. It's a, I've, I'm coming around to this whole idea of like using it as a tool in your arsenal. Um, like you can do these inputs where you can refine your resume and how can you make your resume better and using it as a way of like analyzing your resume, putting in keywords and how to phrase things for a really often search terms, right? That's great. Um, my girlfriend works at a startup and they don't really have a lot of marketing. They don't have a lot of people who know how to do that. Some product and like kind of HR people are like, we need to start talking about this in Twitter. Let's ingest some things and then put it out on Twitter and like people can talk about it and like then you can get noticed and so how are you using it as a tool to kind of push what you want to do at a higher level um, then that's great but oh, yeah. I think for, yeah. for a while it's still going to be seen as like the boogeyman uh, come to take your job maybe kill your kids I don't know yeah, I mean, they're going to put a lot of safety protocols around it. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be nuts for a while. We'll, we'll see. It's, it's, it's really hard to predict in what way it's going to be crazy. Things are going to get weird. Was it the, was it the congressional hearing where uh, the person who like created ChatGPT was like Sam Altman? Yeah, yeah, and he was sitting there, and they're like, "We need to regulate this," and he was like, "Yes, you do," and he was like, and then the Congress was just like, "Well, how do we regulate?" It's like. Isn't that what you guys brought me here for? It's like, well, how will you regulate yourself? I'm like, uh, is that how this is supposed to work? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. That's that's the back and forth on it. It's like it's good that that I mean, you wouldn't want any like you. It needs to be regulated in some way. You need to figure something something about it. But like, you also don't want the people who are controlling the technology to be regulating themselves either. And this is always what happens as something grows. They go to they go to Congress and they say you should probably regulate this industry. Make sure it's harder for our uh, small competitors to get into this space who can't afford the the high price lawyers. Yeah. When have we seen that happening already? Work? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It'll work. Yeah, exactly. All right. So let's. Let's uh, leave the leave that on the table yeah. now. All right. Um, I want to talk about esports a little bit. Yeah. 
So, all right. I, we spoke about this a little bit. My hot, my kind of hot take question on this is, is there, is there a meaningful group of U S consumers, let's say U S who are excited about that, about this, or does everyone in the industry just sort of like feel like they look savvy when they, when they talk about these boards? Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I feel like the, I feel there's like a certain amount of like deniability or like people don't want to admit it, right? Like they're, oh, we're going to sponsor it, but we are, it's just kind of like a thing we have on the side just to like do it. Um, but yeah, it's a major, major player. Um, great for sponsorships, you know, I think if you're like in the tech space or telco or um that kind of area it's yeah it, it's a great place to be in i do think america also falls into like the myopia of things where it's like it's not it's not football baseball or basketball so it doesn't count it's not a sport so i mean i mean it does, yeah i mean it can be anything i guess uh, what i'm wondering is like is this is there a particular audience you're reaching through like what's the advantage is it is it that you're reaching a certain type of people through here, or is it, is there a certain scale that you're able to reach through here that you can't get in other, other ways? Um, yeah, I think it's, again, you're going, you're going through a super impassioned group of people and there's nothing more than what people love and to be seen and like appreciated for what they like. Yeah. Um, and so I think that there is a, there is a important, and especially like these days of like, acknowledgments and like hey this is really cool we love that you love this we're here to make this experience better um so yeah you're re you're reaching a really impassioned group super young um more and more people are going to be playing the e like esports and like the esport leagues right it's like fifa has an esport league um they have um drone racing on espn so i think like more and more these non-conventional sports are going to be avenues for people to have success there's even high school gaming teams and i saw videos i think it was in california but um none of the actual like field sport or like arena teams made state except for the esports team they won the mm. thing yeah and so they they got to like they got celebrated in the high school which is a really sweet thing because then you think about those groups of people who are maybe more inclined to play video games and in that esports world, they're athletes in their own right because of like their capability with their hands in a different way. They're not running 40 yards. They're not catching the ball or hitting the ball with a bat or a racket, but they're still doing strategic things in game to For sure. win and get an advantage, For sure. right? So this is the brain is a muscle just as much as the bicep or the leg can be. Yeah, I mean, I and that's what I think that like it's. I mean, we could we could also say music festivals are another place where you have a very impassioned audience yeah. too. So I don't think even think it really matters too much that it's like yeah. whether or not it's a sport or not. It's like an activity. I think what you're saying about it, the level of engagement and passion, like interaction with it, that that actually sounds really special to me and and different in some ways. The the level of really focused intentional presence and experience of these things that does to some helps me actually understand a little bit why it's particularly exciting versus um advertising at, a, at another sport or um in in a music festival something like that i mean maybe it's more akin to 
um, you're getting not it's not so much the specialized audience, but the degree to which people are like so excited to be in the space because it's new. Yeah, and it, it and it's it goes beyond it just kind of being a meme or laughed at or like the oh it's on it's on ESPN the Ocho right like it it goes beyond that because it actually is sitting in a place of invested interest and um capability of people who are actually doing it yeah yeah is i don't know have you ever watched have you ever watched the drone racing league live? drone racing is looks really fucking cool i've watched them like dota which i find extremely boring yeah dota dota is a long one i've all i know is i remember there was like a, an edm song called dota years ago and it was by a guy who just like listened to edm and played dota but uh yeah those types of longer games i've like that it's just my I don't have the patience for the strategy for. I to your point, enough. if you, if you're into it, super engaged, fine. you can follow. Right. It. Yeah, 100. Mm-hmm. percent Yeah. Right. So, do you think that there's um, is this when companies are thinking about doing something in this space? Is it is it different than is it the same thing as as advertising with any other activity or niche niche thing? Or is it kind of is there something fundamentally different about the opportunities? That are presented through through esports uh, sponsorships, advertising, all that. Hmm. I don't know. I think the base level, like the base principles of brand building and kind of how you would engage with an audience, they still hold true, right? You're still going to go through like the, you know, moments of receptivity, like triggers or um, you know motivators for X, Y, Z action, right? You're going to have these things that are not universal truths, but close as close as we can get. I think really what you get more as a brand in showing up in these maybe less traditional or unexpected places is like cultural cachet and like credibility, right? Like get it going back to our wearables um, conversation. So people just do it so they can be the first or they want to be in this space to show that like it's a growth area for them. It's a growth area in general. So I think that is probably a, a, another guide that people go through that is probably less grounded in like actual like theory or practice. It's more of like a, yeah, this, this, this is a space we want to occupy long-term. Let's get into it and figure it out. Mm-hmm. Are there good deals in the space? Is it, or is it com- getting, becoming competitive for brands for people who want to be advertising in it? I honestly, I have not checked in recently on it i would have to imagine i would have to imagine like just being honest like i I have not spent i spent most of my time talking uh, in like non-esports spaces but i think if it has if it's going to mirror the rest of um the market i would imagine it's getting competitive um but i think the barrier to entry is like media and client teams comfortability with going through with it because it might make them uncomfortable because they're less familiar. Even if they're seeing all the interest from like a consumer or maybe their kids, right? But they're still kind of like, oh, does this work for us? I don't know if it does. I think that's probably the bigger thing than like the market being crowded. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're gonna shift gears a little bit here. Just kind of thinking about like what's going on in the the wider industry. What do you think is let's give us give us an overview of the companies that are really soaking up 
all the ad dollars? Who are the dominant players in the space? What's what's uh, helping them maintain that position? Yeah, I think for the most part, like prior to getting to initiative, right, I was more in the creative side of things. Now getting more into a media creative role, I, I'm getting further uh, reintroduced to that, the state of play. I think I was actually pleasantly surprised Prize that a lot of the same names were bandied about your major network companies, your um, your Googles, the, the the fangs of the world, right? Um, what's it? Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Netflix yeah. Um, uh, Netflix, actually, that's a, that's an interesting topic we should circle back to around um, Netflix getting into the pay to play space. But um, we'll stick with like the bigger, bigger fish for now. But um, yeah, pleasantly surprised that they're still struggling with the ad dollars. I think what you're gonna have, what we've, what we've all seen is this streaming. Every everyone has a streamer. Everything has a plus. Everything has a this, that, and the other. Um, and that entire ecosystem, because they started from a place of such like size and influence, that has just carried over. I think what is harder now to do is making those like discernible cuts of like, okay, who gets what and why? Cause there's still going to be, you know, let's take the major broadcast networks, right? NBC, ABC, Fox, CBS. Let's take those four company brands. Companies are still going to run probably across all four, across any other various digital touch points. But it's like when they start to do maybe sponsorships or specific activations or uh, integrations into shows or social extensions with talent. That's when it's like, okay, we're going to use ABC because they have Grey's Anatomy versus Fox because we don't want to do animation domination, right? Like that. Once you get through the line of like, okay, well, what's the role of um, a partner? Then you're going to figure out which one you're actually going to heavily invest in more. Um, from a tech side, more like digital focused, like a, like a Hulu or um, which is owned by Disney, right? So like they're owning ESPN as well. And then you get Amazon coming into sports and Apple TV having MLS. And so I think everyone's just kind of, it's kind of playing hot potato a little bit, but it's, that's where the role of the people in the room being like, okay, how, what are we going to do here? Because what's, how much of a priority is it this XYZ priority? And then you can go from there. But again, to answer your question and circle back, pleasantly surprised that a lot of the same players were just kind of existing. Yeah, but it sounds like it's actually more complex now making the decisions about where to be running certain types of ads. It almost sounds like the agency is playing a more significant role than maybe in the past when it comes to advising in addition to helping the actual buying happen. Yeah, right. And I think that's one of the things that I've been really interested in these last, I'm coming up on just, I've actually just passed a year now back on the media side of like, how are we briefing in these partners? How are we having like a tiered system? Is it, you know, you're a partner that we just want to keep working with because it worked well? Is it a partner that we believe can be innovative in a media space and make media more exciting and elevate how we would show up? Is it you know, is it about uh, measurement? Is it like you have a really great data stack? We want to actually learn things about consumers and people and what is and is not working so we can get smarter and better in the future. So 
those are the conversations that I think people are having about how we can kind of cut through the BS of how you go through an upfront, which we're in upfront season now. Um, can you is, explain you what know, up, what upfronts are and why that's important? Yeah. To me, it almost sounds like an it's uh would be a legacy kind of thing that's important in the old ways of buying it. I'm a little surprised that it's still a thing now that you know we're just you, you pipe stuff into these into these channels as you have it. Yeah, that's a fair. That's a very fair point of view, um, because it, it does still. I mean, after the, after the pandemic and like the getting back in the room and like the events and stuff, people are very excited about it because that's where a lot of, yeah, a lot of business and a lot of, you know, meetings happening over Zoom is great. But like going out to dinner and like meeting people in person and actually having real in depth conversations and then circling back. So okay, what's our point of action when we're, you know in a meeting or putting a plan together, things get moved about. I, I came to terms a long time ago with like, okay, it's not just about email and meetings. There are certain things that you need to have those conversations in a hallway about. It can't be the only thing, but there are certain that, that, that relatability. And are we talking um, about, and this is a conversation, uh, the media company saying, courting business to the tune of like a batch of millions and millions of dollars worth of advertising saying you should yeah. be spending that with us and not with this this competitor is that the nature of those conversations it can be um i think just to just to hit on the point of what is upfront so i think the way media is and has been bought is you get the best bang for your buck if you buy more at once mm -hmm. uh plain and simple um you get efficiencies at scale um you can um hold inventory so say you're a brand who has a new campaign coming up at around the holidays um because the upfront season upfront media buying period is q4 so october of a calendar year through september the following year so right now we are having conversations for q4 october of 2023 that will run through september 2024 and it is a cycle that will start We'll finish for a little bit and then we'll pick it up again in February, <laughs> which is funny because it's like, okay, the Super Bowl's done. Let's talk about next year. And it's like, okay, cool. Um, so it's almost like a never ending cycle, but mm -hmm. you're refining, you, it's almost like you're refining it every time. But your point is well made around, yes, it seems like an older, outdated model of how you would kind of talk about something because it is a holdover of these legacy approaches to media when TV was Goliath um it still is in a lot of ways it's just different right it's ott and digital um and these holding companies have all this different media inventory so it still holds weight um but like you're saying like yeah. you're saying you're still at the end of the day you're still dealing with a handful of of companies providing the media to a degree yeah um i think what you're going to get now is what we are calling kind of like these new fronts or um going back to what i was just saying around how we are talking and engaging and having a role for media partners because like people could be like oh video i'm going to talk to google and youtube and i'm going to talk to hulu but facebook and meta they're just as much video as the other ones right and so like how are you going to take from a like a person consuming the media lens for how you would talk to them and use them and so there's these like new fronts or like digital led upfronts that happen around the same time. So you can still go in and buy the TikToks, the metas, the, um, uh, the smaller 
players of the world and still you can still do those upfront deals right it's it's still under the guise of this upfront but the the nature of the partner or media entity conglomerate whatever that is what kind of dictates how you would engage with them right is it going to be broadcast on nbc is it going to be premium video and immersive experiences on tiktok right like you can still buy those things at scale and you get those efficiencies because of it so does this happen at an actual event at a physical event yeah so what will happen is they're always in new york which is rude being on the west coast but neither media capital Uh, media capital still is new york new york um yeah so you'll have nbc we'll take nbc just again because i'm watching peacock uh we'll take nbc because they're uh based in rockefeller they'll have a big event they will wheel out all their talents they'll have the main people from snl they'll have the sunday night football they'll have everything except for carrie underwood singing sunday night football basically um and they'll have a whole song and dance about okay here is our media content position in the marketplace here is our slate of things that are coming up and here's our point of view on what's to come and integrations and opportunities and then they'll have you know talent come out and they'll talk through the specifics or different opportunities um now these have this all happened probably about a month and a half ago maybe two months ago and each different uh media entity will have their own day or they'll have a couple, there'll be a couple that kind of overlap and you have to divide and conquer and go and see and hear what is going on. Now, based on your relationship with that certain entity, you could maybe get a sneak peek, but then you're not going to get everything. You still have to go to the meeting. That is like a summit that is telling the marketplace, here's what's what. Yeah. Um, and they're you're kind of like, then you can get the competitive separation with like ABC versus NBC, all these different things. Um, what it doesn't really take into account is the writer's strike that's going on right now, right? And so we just talked about AI and the writing and these upfronts and like what slate of content is actually going to be out there in the fall and in October when Q4 starts. That's a very interesting proposition of like, oh, well, shoot, we bought into the CBS NCIS, but that probably won't be live in the fall because they probably haven't written it. And so what does that mean for content? Probably a lot of reality TV shows, maybe. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how they upfront and like how these kind of different media entities that people are buying into and the things that were promised or bought into, what are those make goods, which is making good on what the set price of what you bought was. Huh. Um, wow, so. that's, that's, oh, there's a lot there, yeah. So you're saying that the, the things <laughs> bit that are- a ra- bit, bit, bit of a ramble, I'm sorry. No, that's great. The time period that's going to be affected by the right, the time period of of of, enter, of TV, video entertainment, high quality video entertainment that's going to be affected by the writer strike was yeah. all previously negotiated. You're saying, potentially, yeah. potentially, some people are quicker than others, right? Like it right. wasn't previ- previously negotiated, but now it's playing a part in it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, like, there. Let's say, for example, there is Grey's Anatomy is coming up for its. 10 millionth season and it's going to be possibly on delay but in the abc upfronts they're probably saying reason not is coming back it's going to be great this that and the other and then everyone maybe there is you know i, I used to watch Grey's Anatomy years ago they always had like great music and it's like oh 
maybe there was a record label who wanted to like integrate with like an album launch and they were like thinking about doing that but then now with the writer strike it's going to happen later that's outside the launch window for the album so then it's like okay well maybe we're not going to work with babies so it's not like it's been agreed to or negotiated or signed sealed delivered it's been more like okay what is the realities of okay the impacting of the negotiation versus uh, sorry playing a part of the negotiation versus impacting what has been negotiated yep yep so basically the sales team the media sales teams at these large networks are real pissed off about the sales about the uh, writers i i could imagine yeah i could imagine they would be um interesting i mean support the writers that's my point of view same um, but 100%. i just think the downstream yeah. effect is interesting oh it's massive and then you can just see like i was reading an article because i love i love big brother um as a reality show on cbs so i was reading a thing yesterday of like oh they haven't announced the new season yet but they pushed it back into august which has never historically happened except for covid and the reason here is writer's strike so cbs or even like there, there are like news outlets and blog posts that are like cbs are kind of like hedging when and where the writer's strike will maybe end wow based on where they're pushing the big brother launch to which is like the middle of august usually it's in the middle of july i believe and so like you're pushing that out and so and big brother is like three months long right so that's august september october right so interesting interesting Yeah, I yeah. I mean, the last time there was a writer strike, you know, seven. That's like they saw. That's probably the rise of reality TV show. Um, yeah, and what I mean, we kind of know of it today. It was already rising, but now it has a real stranglehold in like society and cultural like content consumption. Last um, time, right? Yeah, right, two thousand and seven. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, I so, can't wait to see the terrible AI generated content that they're gonna try to pull off. <laughs> to oh, fill man, the gap gonna- here. I mean, it's going to be great. You can't, can't not love it. I mean, I, uh, I didn't think reality TV could get any more ridiculous, but we might, we maybe we will see as the, at, toward the end of this, like how intense it can get. An AI version of Scandal. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. The, the production's <laughs> AI, the actors are AI. <laughs> oh, man. Um, all right. Let's this that was good. Is there anything else you want to talk about there with the in the upfront space? Um not necessarily the upfronts, but probably um I kind of nodded to it with the the Netflix and kind of like these new entities entering an ad supported space. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh we were talking about it, but like not necessarily like you got a little little dog biting at the ankles of these companies. I think one thing that I'm interested about it is how much will they actually take because of the previously uh, the previous user experience of like no ads and like no ip issues with password sharing and like if i have a family like i share netflix with my parents and my sisters um because there's so many streamers we kind of divide and conquer um if they go ad supported and these do changes what will that do to kind of ruffle the feathers um and like, what does it say about the brands that are buying into these ad-supported spaces? I think is another thing. Like, if people are paying to get rid of ads, who is left to then watch the content with the ads? Are they people who are 
a certain subset of consumers? Do they have different motivations, different uh, financial realities? And but they still like to watch content, but they're going to watch more ads. So I think that the, the, I think right. that, that whole the whole Netflix thing is going to be interesting because it really kind of democratized a lot of things where it's like, oh, I can just pay for it and I can watch it and it's just all there. Um, they're kind of putting up the wall, and I don't know how many people will want to buy into it. I mean, I think we're rapidly getting to a world where there's going to start to be two internets, where there's a subscription pre premium internet, where the new high quality AI that filters out all the content marketing or whatever is a subscription product that you have to pay for. And then the AI that's not quite as good as dealing with the arms race of, of, uh, AI generated content that's sort of like making its way into its knowledge set. The free one is going to be this other internet out there. And so you can kind of oh. think about it with advertising too, right? Like, so Netflix premium, no ads, higher uh, incomes, income user. Yeah. Netflix ads, a uh, lower income user, which starts Ooh. to, you know, think about where, when you're advertising, who are the advertisers there and who are they talking to? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, that kind of blew my mind there a little bit of uh, two internets. I mean, it stands to reason there's, you know, in many senses, two realities for <laughs> for a lot of yeah, the things these yeah. for a lot of the things these days. Yeah. So yeah, it stands to reason that, you know, that is a possibility. Like you're saying news itself. Like yeah. there's gated news is gated. High quality news is gated. So <laughs> The stuff that's left yeah. over, the sort of nonsense, the stuff that will be easily written by AI or is just straight up fake news starts to become the free stuff, the more accessible stuff. Oh my God. Yeah, it's a little that's gonna that's gonna sit with me for a minute. 